0: June 21st figures to be a very momentous night for 60 individuals who will hear their names called in the NBA Draft and it also could be an extremely important evening for one particular college basketball program located on Lancaster Avenue. And that, of course, would be the Villanova Wildcats. Brian Seltzer, welcome you in to another draft edition of the broadcast. And on this episode, we're going to speak with John Rothstein. He's the college basketball insider for CBS Sports. We'll talk about what it would mean for Villanova to have four players potentially taken in the draft next week. That chat coming up in just a moment. But first, we'll remind you, per usual... If you are not yet a subscriber to the podcast, please get on board. Subscribe to our feeds. You can go to iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. Type in Sixers Podcast Network. We're also on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com backslash Sixers. Between Mikhail Bridges, Jalen Brunson, Dante DiVincenzo, and Amari Spellman, No particular order that those players were listed. The Villanova Wildcats could set a program record for having four different players taken in the same draft class. Certainly a testament to the individual skills of those players, but also to the type of talent that Jay Wright and his staff has been able to mine in recent years. To get more on Villanova and some other storylines surrounding the draft, let's welcome in now, via the phone, John Rothstein. He is the college basketball insider for CBS Sports Network. You can catch him leading up to the draft on Inside College Basketball Draft Special on CBS
1: Sports Network. John, how are you doing? Great to be with you, man. Great time of year is right. Always uh, always a lot of things percolating this time of year leading up to the NBA draft. Not much fact, but definitely a lot of fiction.
0: We'll certainly get into the 76ers, what you think they might need, who might make a quality fit. But as you said, this time of year there's always a lot of stuff percolating out there as far as some news what's real, what maybe has some smokescreen stuff attached to it. But at the time of taping this podcast, some news coming out that Michael Porter Jr. dealing with a little bit of a hip issue that caused him to cancel his second pro day. What have you been hearing about Porter, the momentum he's generated, and how do you think this development might affect things going into June 21st?
1: Well, you know, it's interesting. I've said repeatedly that no player in the 2018 NBA draft has a higher risk with higher rewards than Michael Porter Jr. And, you know, I have to be honest with you, coming into last season, there seemed to be a thought process that the two players that were going to be up for the number one overall slot in the 2018 NBA draft was going to be Michael Porter Jr. and DeAndre Ayton. Obviously, things of that nature did not come to fruition. Nevertheless, you're looking right now... I think, at a changing of the guard in the NBA. And again, I want to preface this. I'm not an NBA guy. I don't watch as many games as you do. But I do have relationships in the NBA. And I've talked to several coaches and executives the last couple of weeks about the draft and things like that. And the in position right now is the combo forward. Because the game has changed so much because of spacing and more of an onus put on outside shooting. And Michael Porter Jr. fits that bill as well as anybody you know, in this NBA draft terms of being a combo forward. So it's, again, a risk-reward type proposition. You have somebody who I was told, you know, shot the ball very well in the workout last week in Chicago, but, again, continues to have nagging type injuries that have been major setbacks repeatedly. So somebody is going to roll the dice next Thursday night, and if healthy, you're getting somebody who can be a – you know, all-star level talent, but the question is, is he going to be able to stay on the floor?
0: Prior to this news coming out about the hip, did you have a sense of just how high he might have been climbing on some team's draft boards?
1: You know, you're always trying to figure out what's legitimate and what's not in terms of <laughs> the NBA draft, because, you know, like, you, know, you hear from somebody, I heard from somebody yesterday, well, this guy, you know, if he's there at 20 such and such is going to be have a guarantee and so on and so forth, and it's only going to get worse You know, as we lead up to the draft, I got the feeling right now, and this was pretty consistent all week, that DeAndre Ayton, Luka Doncic, Jaron Jackson Jr., and Marvin Bagley would be the first four picks, you know, in some type of order if everything stayed the same and there was not, obviously, some sort of a trade. But, you know, the Michael Porter Jr. dynamic is interesting for – A number of reasons, because, you know, when you look at the times when he was healthy, like when I saw him on the AAU circuit or in the Elite 24 All-Star Game a couple years ago in Brooklyn, you have somebody who had, I'm not comparing to Kevin Durant, but a Kevin Durant-like feel to his game. You think back to when Missouri played Kansas in that exhibition game last October, I believe, prior to the season. You know, he went for 21, 8 and 2 in 23 minutes, and he looked like a player that was on his way to averaging 18 to 22 points a game, averaging at and getting seven or eight rebounds. I'm not sure if it's necessarily
0: because the Sacramento Kings are the team holding the second pick in the draft and the way they've made some decisions in previous years. But do you get vibes that there's an impression that there could be some volatility towards the top part of the draft, more so this year than there has been in years past? There could be some wild card factors, some things that shake out that people didn't quite foresee happening going into draft night?
1: I mean, I still think, you know, we're a week away from, you know, the fireworks obviously really coming to fruition. Here's what I can tell you. I know that a lot of people involved in the NBA draft are making the comparison at the top and comparing Jaron Jackson long-term versus Marvin Bagley III in the present. Now, why is that such a big comparison? Marvin Bagley III was the ultimate producer as a freshman in college basketball. 21 and 11, 61% from the field, 40 from three. And, you know, if you're comparing it from a production standpoint, he was a guy who, for all intents and purposes, you know, outperformed Tim Duncan statistically. Tim Duncan, statistically, the freshman one far, has got 9-6 and 9-8. But 1118 minutes played last year, only 29 block shots. Look at Jaron Jackson, 106 block shots and just over 700 minutes played. So all of a sudden, you look at Jaron Jackson, a guy who also can shoot the three ball, he is more of a fit in the modern NBA for somebody who can be a face-up five. And that's why when you look at other aspects of players in this draft, if you are not somebody at the five spot who can face the basket and extend the defense, you are almost an endangered species. You are somebody, again, who might have had more of an opportunity to play I say like in the 90s when the center position was more of a back to the basket type of situation but now you're looking at those guys as an endangered species I mean if, if this was 1997 I don't have any doubt that Isaac Hopps would be a first-round pick and people would be comparing him to Rick <laughs> Smith but it's not 1997 it's 2018 and times are changing in the NBA plenty to
0: sift through and sort out within
1: the next week or so. But one thing that does seem
0: certain is that the Villanova Wildcats a program just over the Ben Franklin Bridge from 76ers headquarters here in Camden, New Jersey out on the main line is a program that's going to have a pretty decent night or it looks like that's what's shaping up to be. How big is draft night for the Villanova Wildcats?
1: Well, I, you know, I wrote a, a column about this earlier this week, you know, you look at Villanova and they've had a scenario the past you know, couple of seasons where they have become the premier program in college basketball and Jay Wright has become the premier coach in college basketball, that could continue to be augmented at the NBA draft. And the NBA draft is always you know, an event that feels like it's reserved for Kentucky and for Duke and programs like that. Villanova could be the program that shines the brightest In the 2018 NBA draft. And think about this for a second. Since being the head coach of Villanova in 2001, Jay Wright has only had three first-round picks. Two in 2006 and Kyle Lowry and also Randy Foy and also Josh Hart a year ago. Villanova's got a real chance to have four guys taken in the first round.
0: Before we discuss whether or not that's going to happen... In the article that you have on FanRag Sports, Villanova could have another program-changing night at the NBA draft. You talk about the Association of Villanova being a blue-blood program in college hoops. Is it already there? Do you think that's safe to say at this point?
1: They are blue-blood. I consider Villanova right now in the same realm as Carolina, Duke, and Kentucky.
0: It's amazing just how far they've come and how Jay Wright has gone about doing it. And you pulled out some quotes from previous years of Jay talking about the team's philosophy when it comes to recruiting and targeting potential one-and-done talent, looking for guys with the right fit. It seems like there's a little bit of a balance on that front, but more often than not, the fit overtook the desire to really go after and pursue what might be a temptation for other programs in terms of one and dones and it's more about getting quality players that could play out over
1: time no question and you know one of the things that Jay told me two years ago when Villanova won its first national championship is you know the way to win a national championship is different for certain programs and you know the way for Villanova to win a championship so far has been to get guys who wanted to be in college who wanted to be at Villanova and were okay, you know, withstanding the test of time over three or four years. That's come to fruition two times in the last three seasons. And now it remains to be seen if Villanova is going to take a different approach moving forward. But I firmly believe this. With the departures that we saw unexpectedly, probably from Dante DiVincenzo and Amari Spellman, I think Villanova is setting up for two thousand nineteen to potentially have its best recruiting class ever. Really? Yes.
0: That much momentum?
1: Well, I just think right now you look at what you can offer. If you're Jay Wright, you can offer playing time right away. You look at right now the situation in Villanova's program. The two best players and the two guys who are going to be counted upon to perform at the highest level out of the gate next season is Phil Booth and Eric Pascal. Both guys are not going to have college eligibility beyond this season. So when you think about it that way, Villanova has a scenario right now where they can offer playing time, they can offer the opportunity to kind of transcend Villanova basketball to a different level, and now you have a scenario where they also are playing with a big chip. You can go to Villanova the same way now you can go to Duke, Kentucky, Carolina, or UCLA because of what they've accomplished.
0: Why do you think it was initially that Jay Wright and Villanova decided to take the approach in recruiting that they ultimately adopted and not try and go hard for one-and-done guys?
1: Well, you know, I think one of the things that happened when Villanova went to the Final Four was, you know, Villanova obviously became more attractive for kids to go to school, but guys who necessarily wanted to use college as a stepping stone to a professional career was not the best fit for Villanova. And when you think about the backbone and the guts of that Final Four team in 2009 – guys like Reggie Redding, Dante Cunningham, Dwayne Anderson, these were all guys who spent extended periods of time in college and were okay being a part of the program and being a part of something that was bigger than themselves. So once Villanova got back to that mindset and started to add guys like Ryan Archie Diacono, like Chris Jenkins, like Josh Hart, you saw a little bit of a shift and you saw the overall product of Villanova reach a different level, a team that always made the extra pass on offense and a team that always won the 50-50 ball in defense.
0: Why do you think that Villanova has been able to find so many guys who have been right fits for them, and not even necessarily talking about what they've done after they leave college and how they've been able to successfully recruit so consistently?
1: looking beyond what the current situation was in terms of physical ability and in terms of physical makeup i mean chris jenkins is a player who you know was significantly heavier before he got to villanova and he got himself in better shape to play college basketball mikhail bridges is somebody who looked like a track star more than a basketball player when he was coming up on the aau scene but He redshirted a season and he was a valuable reserve when Villanova won its first national title. And then he went from a guy as a redshirt sophomore that made 44 threes and as a redshirt junior, he made 104 threes. He increased his threes made by 60 from his redshirt sophomore to redshirt junior year. So I think looking beyond rankings and identifying guys who were going to fit the mold of that program is the big reason why they were able to do that. Now, Let's not make it seem like that's the only reason why they were still recruiting highly touted players. Jalen Brunson, Amari Spellman were all both ranked in the top 20 coming out of high school. But when you look at the ancillary pieces of the puzzle of the last couple of national championship teams, you know, Josh Hart, Chris Jenkins, Mikhail Bridges, Dante DiVincenzo, you know, they were not ranked in the top 50 of their respective recruiting classes.
0: Pretty telling and impressive that the Wildcats were able to identify that type of talent, and certainly for those individuals, they have gone on to reap some very heady collective fruits and individual accolades as well. Um, as we zero in on the Villanova 4 for this year's draft class, who do you think's going where?
1: You know, it's interesting. I think, you know, Mikael Bridges is a top-ten pick. I would be surprised if he'd last beyond... The Philadelphia 76ers at number 10. Dante DiVincenzo, somebody who could play his way into the high teens, the low 20s. And then I think, you know, anywhere from 20 to 40, you could see Jalen Brunson and Omari Spellman go off the board. Are there any comps that first come to mind with those four guys
0: that you like to make or talk about when looking at their projection in the pros?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. You know, I I think, you know, when you look at these at the guys from different landscapes, you know, I think Jalen Brunson is going to be somebody who could go on on an NBA roster right now and be a quality backup point guard. He has that type of, you know, DNA just like, you know, his father did, you know, in, in some instances. To me, Mikhail Bridges is somebody who could reach a different level if he played with a playmaking point guard who set the table, that's why when you think about Philadelphia and you think about somebody like Ben Simmons, you know, Mikhail Bridges was somebody who could be a lethal finisher in transition and somebody who obviously has a high basketball IQ. So I've always seen Mikhail as being somewhat like Richard Jefferson. And remember Richard Jefferson was a great finisher when he was with the Nets. And then Spellman is a different type of, Player. Now, from a physical perspective, he looks like Jared Sullinger, but his game is more like Adrian Payne, if that makes sense. He is a prototypical face-up man who can make shots. You know, shot forty-three percent last year. So I think Adrian Payne, but obviously his body is much broader. You know, is, is a fair comparison for him. And then, as far as Dante Divincenzo goes, you know, if you remember back a little bit. You had uh, a guy who had a nice career in the NBA and bounced around. He played a little bit for Jeff Van Gundy. Bob Sura, who played at Florida State in the 90s. That's kind of who Dante reminds me of. Dante also has elements of Delonte West a little bit with how hard he plays, but I think those guys are pretty much the most. There's a little bit of Sura, there's a little bit of Delonte West, and Montante Steven
0: There was the huge, obviously, NCAA tournament showing that DiVincenzo had capped off by the 31-point game in the National Championship game, but then he really seemed to do that much more good for himself at the Combine in Chicago uh, last month in May. Do you think in any way DiVincenzo surprised himself at all at what he's been able to do this time last year? Do you have any idea where he saw himself being after his second full-playing season on the main line?
1: I mean, I think... You know, kids right now who are playing high-level college basketball want to be in a situation where they can find a way to make the NBA as quickly as possible. And I think when you look at things right now, if you're Dante DiVincenzo, you win a national championship, you're the most outstanding player. What else can you do for college? His stock was never going to be higher than it was right now. And rather than come back into the Big East preseason player of the year and have the keys to the car, he wanted to roll the dice. And it looks like right now the dice is going to come back in his favor.
0: Feel like that was kind of the same mode of thought for Spellman as well? No
1: question. And I also think, you know, in their cases, too, you know, I don't want to obviously diminish Javon Quinterly, the freshman point guard who's going to run the show at Villanova, but it's unlikely, too, that you're going to play with a better point guard next year than Jalen Brunson.
0: We've been talking about Villanova and how they have managed to circumvent having to rely on one and done talent while building up this dynastic force in division one and it's interesting you have that dynamic and then you have the commission on college basketball report come out and that issued its opinion on one and duns do you see villanova being equipped to handle better than some other institutions whatever changes are being in the works right now and could be coming for the college game
1: yeah, I think, you know, one thing you have to look at is if there are no one-and-dones and you're in a situation where one-and-dones go away, college basketball is going to look more like the product we've seen at Villanova. It's going to look more like the product we've seen Mike Bray have at Notre Dame, and that's not a bad thing. The overall talent base in the sport may be diminished a little bit, but the sport could be better off in terms of its overall health.
0: That then can beg the question, just how much – of an impact on fortunes do one-and-dones have?
1: Well, I mean, think about it. You know, each year it feels like for all intents and purposes that, you know, Duke and Kentucky have the two best recruiting class, and they almost take turns taking players. But with that said, Duke and Kentucky didn't play in the Final Four last year. Villanova did. Michigan did. Loyola of Chicago did. And another team, Kansas, did with veteran guards with Devontae Graham and Malik Newman now – Kansas, okay, had its cup of coffee with one and Dunn's when they had Wiggins and Embiid, and if you remember that year, didn't even make the second weekend. Now, Joel Embiid didn't play in that NCAA tournament because of an injury, but, you know, you're looking more and more and you're seeing that returning players are more important than incoming players in college basketball.
0: Back in March, Darius Baisley made the choice, he announced at least, that he was going to go straight to the G League and bypass college. Could that trigger a movement? What long-ranging effects could that have?
1: I, I don't want to speculate on speculation. I mean, there's obviously exceptions to the rule, but Darius Baisley is you know, somebody who would have been in the situation where he would have been a key player at Syracuse, who so I've got ranked 16th in the country right now, and he opted to try and basketball for money first so you know we wish him well in general
0: and obviously we talked about Villanova are there certain programs who in your opinion are some of the programs that best prepare players for the NBA on and off the court not just necessarily in terms of the fact that they can bring in talent
1: yeah that's a a great question I think there's certain coaches that have had you know great success getting guys ready for the NBA you know Ben Howland's an unbelievable job at UCLA Tom Crean has done a great job not just obviously with guys like Victor Oladipo, but look at OG Obi this past year. So those are two guys who obviously, you know, have guys ready for the NBA. I think that, you know, aren't obviously consistently getting the same type of attention as maybe a John Calipari or Mike Krzyzewski.
0: How much more could parallel schematics between NCAA and the NBA and the way personnel is deployed – um, help the transition of some players as far as using college to get to the pros.
1: Well, the NBA needs to give college basketball some help, and that's obviously with altering the one-and-done rule. And that's you know something that I've talked to Jay Wright about plenty of times. You know, he has felt that you know the NBA needs to come out and allow kids to go to the G League or directly into the draft if they don't want to be in a situation where they want to be in college. And that's I think the thing. I think everybody's kind of hoping comes to fruition here sooner than later.
0: As we get to June 21st, if you were able to make picks at number 10 and 26, who you got?
1: We're talking for the Sixers now. Well, I would, I'm would. going to go with Mikhail Bridges at 10. And then at 26, I mean, you know the Sixers better than I do. What do you think would be the need if they obviously take Bridges at 10? What do you think is the next need for the Sixers?
0: Well, it's a great question because this year the dynamic is different for the Sixers compared to past seasons where a lot of the playing time on the roster as you look ahead into 2018-2019 pretty much already spoken for. There's not going to be a ton of room for guys to come in and grab available minutes. Well,
1: I'll just say this. You know, with Ben Simmons, you know, on the – you know, obviously on the – On the Sixers, I would think that you need, you know, shooters around them. So I'm going to go with Gary Trent Jr. from Duke, 97 made threes last year.
0: Another name that has been associated with that spot, Kevin Herter. Um, Do you think that could knock him back, the injury issues that have just come out with him?
1: It shouldn't, but, you know, if it does, that's the same type of guy who can obviously add spacing and make shots, and that's the way the NBA is going right now. You need shot makers.
0: Any names that stand out to you as far as viable second-round picks, guys that you would like at that
1: phase of the draft? I mean, there's always going to be steals in the uh, second round of the draft. It depends who's there. You know, for example, somebody we talked about, Jalen Brunson. I think, you know, Devontae Graham could be a Quinn Cook type in terms of the role that he could have, you know, depending on who falls. Other guys to keep an eye on, Shake Milton from SMU. Great size for a lead guard. De'Anthony Melton, who played, and also like at USC, and also like Kevin Hervey from Texas Arlington.
0: What about Keelan Martin? Do you have much insight on him and what he was able to do?
1: Falls out of bed and you know will drop uh, 15, 20 points. A <laughs> Pro- prolific scorer. Nice. Certainly, guys like that can't hurt. John
0: Rothstein. He is. The College Basketball Insider for CBS Sports Network. Watch him leading up to the draft on Inside College Basketball Draft Special on CBS Sports. John, thanks so much. Thanks for having me, man. And you can follow John on Twitter at John Rothstein, John spelled J-O-N. And you can read him at FanRag Sports. His latest entry into the Rothstein Files entitled Villanova Could Have Another Program Changing Night at the NBA Draft. Thanks to John for taking the time to talk. Thanks to you for listening. Keep checking your feeds as more draft coverage on the pod comes your way leading up to June 21st.